Pastor Dan led us in the bees and don'ts last week of verses 21 through the end. Uh, he saved, I don't know if this was from wisdom or cowardice, um, the uh, passage on wives uh, submitting to their husbands today. So um, brace up for that. Uh, in order that we might have the context and I think the depth of meaning, we'd like to read the entire chapter. So. Uh, Please follow as we read Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be even named among you as is fitting for saints, neither... Filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore... Do not be partakers with them, for you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it's a shameful thing to speak of these things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, and this will be our three verses of emphasis today, Verses 22 through 24, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And if you'd humor me for a moment, I grew up uh, in a church where we sang the doxology every Sunday. Uh, And in verse 19, it says, Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Would you join me in great praise to the Lord? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Father, we offer to you our praise. Thank you for this powerful passage of instruction. Help us to bury deep within our hearts and minds and beliefs these truths and that in the days that are yet before us we'd be found faithful living them to your glory. Thank you for this special Mother's Day gathering today. We pray that you, the author of male and female, wife and husband, mother and father, would get great glory as we would look to your word and invite you to transform us as would bring you great pleasure. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. I'd like to have you uh, look at your handout real quickly that's uh, in the bulletin. Um, we failed to get uh, part of it on the back side. So if you take your blank side and fill in what uh, ought to be there. On the front side, it says the metaphor and the motive. On the back side, it should say the mission. The mission. And back here, uh, the mission is very uh, simply to save the body. The mission is to save the body. And that requires, of course, a Savior, there has to be salvation and there has to be someone that's saved. And this question, where should the attention be directed? Where should the attention be directed? As we are zeroing in on verses 22 through 24, and I would like to read them once more, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
We're going to dig as deeply as we can into this question. What is this passage really and simply all about? What is this passage really and simply all about? There are ten pieces of background I'd like to put on the table as we dive into this. The first is communication. What is communication? It involves a sender, a message, and a receiver. And if there's a dialogue, a logos, words between two, then that goes the other way. A message uh, that is sent, and hopefully, if communication is successful, then it's a message that has been received. Communication, from a lot of what I've studied, says that it's uh, one of the two primary contributions to the downfall of a marriage, the lack of communication. There's a sender and there's a receiver. So it is at the post office. Uh, We had Paul Erdman in our first service, and I remember when uh, Precious and I first arrived at town that we'd get these letters that on the back there'd be this line drawn across it, and then uh, hanging over the line would be a big nose and a couple of eyeballs and a head with a little bit of hair and some ears. Uh, my mail had been tampered with. Um, as kind of a welcome to town, Paul would kind of write that on there. It was, it was very special. But this whole post office is about mail and the sending of it, the receiving of it. Email. There's a sender who types away. Uh, some of us type away. And then there's this special little button on there called send. There are senders and there are receivers. In addition to communication, secondly, um, we'd like to have you think about names. I loved our um, singing today. He knows my name. We all have a name. Um, For the most part, you did not wish for, select uh, your name. We're in a generation of changing names now, and uh, we're watching um, people who don't like their names go to the courthouse and go through the busy and extensive process of changing name. We all have a name. It's our identity. Uh, Thank you for praying for our daughter, Julie. Her due date is this coming Wednesday. Uh, Sherry heads out tomorrow to California to um, uh, be shocked by what it's like to have a daughter have a daughter. Um, What are they going to name her? Is that important? Who named you? Have you forgiven them yet? I emailed them and pushed send on a bunch of M names. Um, they didn't seem to appreciate it, and it probably won't be that. I've worked hard over the years at learning names. It personalizes it. It builds a relationship. And uh, wouldn't you know, twice this past week, uh, I was really embarrassed 
and called to task. One was as we sat out enjoying a time of fellowship in the, the big room and eating that pulled pork. And, and I went over and visited with the Sinkle family. And, and, and Barb, the mother, said, uh, Oh, Pastor Jake, he's, he's just so good at remembering names. She said that right out loud. Um, and uh, I felt kind of puffy about that. And, um, and then her grandson down at the end says, quote, I bet he doesn't remember my name, unquote. And he was right. I uh, sent him a card this week apologizing for that. Um, and it was painful. Um, how did he feel about that? bet he doesn't know mine. Uh, so in this card I wrote him, I told him he was right on. He got me where, where I needed to be gotten. Thank you for it. And, and I hope I never forget the name Justin Senkel. Everybody say Justin Senkel. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And so the district track meet was held this week, and we were over enjoying that and watching the triple jump. And um, one of the Mitchell players was jumping, and a couple was seated on the ground watching the event. Hi, Jake. Right. Um, And wasn't coming, wasn't coming. I finally said, help me. And with uh, a very hurt look on their face, they said, really? Yeah, really. So I was apologizing to them all week. He knows my name. And communication and this giving and receiving has something to do with names. A third backdrop we'd like you to think about is plumbers. I'd like to stand before you today and say it's my experience that plumbers know the difference between male and female. It is equally true of electricians. They know the difference between male and female. Education is comprised of three basic giving and receiving issues. You have a teacher, the sender. You have the curriculum, the message. And you have, of course, the receiver, the student. Football. You have a sending quarterback. You have a football being sent. You have a wide receiver that catches the ball, sometimes for Nebraska. Children, in the Word of God, are described in the life of a grateful father as arrows. And we have the picture of the children growing up and being sent to impact 
their generation with what they've learned and what they've been called to do. Uh, my son John got 3,000 points yesterday. He uh, sent some awesome flowers to my wife. She reminds him that she is the mother who bored him. <laughs> Further evidence of why I call her precious. A ninth issue is that God created male and female. There is a difference. There is a distinction. I love living in the generation of ultrasounds where um, instead of the dark ages when my older two were born, um, I remember waiting in the waiting room and contemplating why I had so many germs I couldn't be in there to see what was going on or whatever the deal was. And finally, um, a doctor came out and looked me in the eye and said, congratulations on your new son. Sons are different than daughters. Males are different than females. It was the first news I had that the birth was successful, and it was the first news I had that it was a boy, a male. And the first exchange I had with Precious was as she looked up at me, she asked that question you've heard me mention to a number of you. Do you like him? And then we sobbed cheek to cheek. The answer is, yeah, I sure do. Thank you, Precious. How many of you are reading this morning from the King James Version? I'd like, like to see your hands. Um, I'd like all of us to turn quickly to 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 21. Now, this demonstrates a couple of things as we step into this next metaphor. <clears throat> 1 Kings 21.21, in all your other versions, you will find in that verse the word male, M-A-L-E. And we know what male is. And I'd like to say to you that that's an accurate and a very good interpretation of the Hebrew language. Male, that's a good interpretation but it's not a very good translation. And if you can tolerate this, uh, uh, I didn't author this, I didn't write this. I'm trying to be very sensitive and careful as I speak this. But if you'd uh, go with a devotional time to Precious and me, we're reading uh, through the King James Version the first year of our marriage, we come to this verse. And in King James it reads, not male, but he that, quote, pisseth against the wall, unquote. At that reading, we cracked up. <laughs> it's not particularly uh, suitable language in our generation. But let there be no mistake what they were talking about. 
And it went from chuckling back then to a study this week, and it's really been significant to me. As, as I thought about, you know, we spent a significant number of dollars in this building for men's restrooms. And apparently it's important in a male restroom to have against the wall uh, a receiver for the male. And the Hebrew language uses those two words, a word for wall and a word for urination. It's a male thing. If you've ever uh, parented small children, uh, we have issues with sons that we don't have with daughters. Invariably, there's the call. Did you know what your boy was doing out back? (laughs) Yeah, the same thing yours was out front. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd like my flowers replaced. (laughs) I hope we've established that there are males... And there are females. And virtually every thinking person knows that and what the difference is. With that as a backdrop, we have a passage that speaks of wives, and it does not use the word female. It uses the word wives. Submit to your own, and it does not use the word males. It uses the word husbands. And the Greek word idios, please say that out loud, is the word that goes before husbands. Submit to your own idios, husbands. Now don't go there. (laughs) It's the root word for like idiosyncrasies, which are unique, specific distinctions. Uh, Not that other word you were trying to chase down. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, because there is a metaphor coming up. And I'm here to tell you that this passage is not about wives and husbands. Are you with me? This passage, really and simply, is not about wives and husbands. This passage, in verse 23 is very clear that what wives and husbands bring to the understanding is that they are the metaphor, the allegory, the analogy, and as Jesus would teach, the parable of taking something that we get like our head to comprehend what this passage is really about. This passage is really about the head of the church. That's what this passage is about. And it specifies who that head is. And in the metaphor language of your own body, if we can talk directly, without the head, you're dead. And it's the head that supplies the body 
with the instructions, the sendings, the impulses that the rest of the body receives and responds to. This is about the church. And this is about the head of the church. And his name is Jesus the Christ. That's what this passage is about. But not simply that. It is also about that he, the head, he, Christ, is the savior of the metaphor for the church. The body. He is the Savior of the body. So please let me know that you get this as I now give you your quiz. In metaphoric language, what is the body? And the correct answer is the church. The body of Christ is is the church. Who is the head of that body? Jesus the Christ. Well, let's play it in reverse. What is the word husband a metaphor for? Jesus, the head. Got that? That was a slow answer. Let me make sure we got that. The husband is a metaphor for Jesus Christ, and that's head language. The wife is a metaphor for the church. We've got that. That's what this passage is about. It's about Jesus Christ, the head and his church, and the fact that he is the savior of that body. That's what this passage is about. Therefore, is there any question in verse 24, who the church is subject to? I don't have any problem at all gripping this one. I'll tell you what I do have a problem gripping is how we would expect wives to submit to jerks, as I hear them called sometimes. Abusive. Not idios, but idiots. I have trouble with that. And I've watched the enemy of God take the word of God into a marriage of God And have wives and husbands wrestle over these things. It's not about them. It's about Jesus. And nobody loves like Jesus loves. Nobody has paid the price that Jesus has paid for his body. The body of Christ. Do you remember also that this is but one of two metaphors for the church. And the other is also a B word. In addition to the body of Christ, we have the bride of Christ. 
And that's a whole nother metaphor to chase down. But the head equals Jesus Christ. The body equals the church. I'd like to have you turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. We are targeting there verse 4. Romans chapter 7, targeting verse 4, but beginning in verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Target verse 4, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. And the body is a metaphor for what, please? The church. Please don't let me lose you on that. That you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. That's reproducing. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work, and our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to that which we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, targeting verse 16. My Bible program has a target. We're targeting verse 16. Beginning in verse 14, we read, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. And then our target verse, the cup of blessing which we bless, this question, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And if we had time, we'd develop how I am now convinced that the blood of Christ is a metaphor for his love. In the Old Testament, blood covers a multitude of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. And through the pen of Peter, the Holy Spirit has breathed these words. Love covers a multitude of sin. Blood covers it. Love covers it. I think that's a a metaphor as well as a reality. The bread which we break, this question, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Tell me once more that you know what the body of Christ is a metaphor for. The church. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. And I have a huge sense of that here this morning. I love watching these carnations get yanked out. Good job, Blake. I loved our greeting time. I love that we have the freedom that Jay can come all the way from Maryland, Maryland, not Maine, Maryland, 
no Sandy. And declare that. We want you to be loved here. It's the body, the oneness, it's the unity. We got lots of different parts. We got big toes and knees, and I'd love to go ahead and make a metaphor for who of you I think is what. Chuck Swindoll once said that uh, God wisely did not make us as six foot four inch eyeballs. That would be very good for seeing, but not so good for all the rest of the things that all the rest of the parts do. What an intricate design is ours. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, targeting verse 27, 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 24. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. I love that. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. We got word about Nate's granddad today. And what happened in this room? We came up short we went, uh. When one suffers, they all suffer. If one is honored, all the members rejoice with it. John, I'm really sorry we couldn't be in your home last evening to eat that stuff your mom makes. This is really good stuff. Uh, I've heard how good-looking Ben has become, and I finally get a chance to see how you're fashioning all that. That's pretty cool, man. <laughs> but when you're honored, I'm honored. Twenty-seven. Now you are the... Church. Now here's the same point again. It doesn't say church. Church is a perfect interpretation of what this is saying. But it's an incorrect translation of what it's saying. Translation says, find me an English word for body. Find me an English word for Christ. But understand the teaching and the metaphor is that the body of Christ is You are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. And then the book that we're studying, Ephesians, in chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, targeting verse 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers... For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the, translation says, body of Christ. Interpretation says, for the edifying of the, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature, perfect, completed man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, the metaphor for Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share. Each of us has a share to do. We're a body part, and it causes the growth of the body for the building up or the edifying of its very self in love. I think that's pretty powerful stuff. Any problem gripping that the church could submit itself to its head. Doesn't that make perfect sense? Therefore, if we get that and we're looking for an application, then wives, you have everything to gain by submitting yourself to the head of the marriage. And you don't have to tell me that I understand some of the difficulties of that. When this goes wrong, and when male and female depart from truth, then there are things like adultery, and fornication, and pornography, and lewdness, and lasciviousness dissipation, debauchery. But done right, it's the bride of Christ's language and it's wedding and it's marriage and it's husband and it's wife. For the believer, the motive of that wife is to do it as to the Lord. And for Jesus, his motive was love. What is the mission of all this? To save the body. Where should the attention be directed? Toward the head. That's where the attention should be directed. The church, the body of Christ, should adorn herself in such a way that when people see her, the attention goes to the head. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now you can cloud it, you can redefine it, but here's the deal. Plumbers know male from female. So do electricians. So do children. And so do we. I'd love to pray with you. Is there something you need to get right in your heart right now? Are you saved? God the sender has sent his message, the gospel. He has sent his son. The motive was love for you and me, the lost sinner. Awaiting it being received. Are you saved? If your answer is no... If your answer is, I'm not sure, 
Now's the time. Right here. Right now. Let's do business with Creator God who created us male and female. Father, in the name of Your Son, Jesus, that we can accurately from this passage declare to be the head of the body, the head of the church. In the name of Your Son, Jesus, the Lamb, And your great promise in the book of Revelation of the coming of the Lamb for his bride, the church. Somebody walked in here this morning who was very likely not a part of the bride, not a part of the body, because they had not yet received this great seed of your word designed to give us new birth. But here and now, we declare in our heart, God, this is sure making sense this morning. Right here and right now, phony baloney all set aside, I open my heart's door, and I invite you in. I here and now receive your message. I receive your son, Jesus. I receive what you have called the gift of eternal life. I didn't deserve it. I haven't earned it. I acknowledge it as your love gift to me right here. And so on this day in history, it would be settled for eternity because you say so. Thank you for every woman in this room who is a mother And Father, we acknowledge in our generation it's easy to become pregnant. And only females can do that. And then as you design and grow life, some of those childbearing females become mothers. And I pray that there would be a quality of motherhood in our midst. Thank you for my mother. I thank you for my generation. Lord, you know this is personal with me. I thank you with these precious believers that I was born before Roe v. Wade. I thank you that my mom confessed Had it been now, I couldn't have been here to speak this sermon. She'd have done it. And then I thank you for her not throwing me away, but faithfully loving me and nurturing me and teaching me what it is to love and to be loved, pointing me to you. I thank you for the pastor that shared Jesus with her. And that a moment like this, as someone here has perhaps just experienced, she opened her heart's door and received your great love gift of eternal life, of the gift of your son. And how I'm comforted, as many who have lost loved ones are, she died in Christ, the head of the body. Thank you. Thanks for the work you've done in our midst. Help us to be 
joyful and enjoy each other. Help us to be dead serious about serving you and proclaiming you. Until our last breath or Jesus returns for his bride, we pray. Amen.